Hey folks, thanks for joining me for this episode of the Embellish Podcast, a podcast focused on product stories, product storytellers, interesting brand ambassadors, and anything else that I happen to come up with. Whether you're a bourbon fan, a geek, a casual observer, or someone just floating through this channel, I hope you find what I have to say interesting. If you got here by chance, please take a moment to hit the subscribe button. Hopefully I can be found on any podcasting platform that exists. And if you can't find me on a platform, send me an email at embellishpod at gmail.com and I'll try to get that taken care of. Also, generally live stream the recording of these episodes on YouTube. You can find all of my links on Instagram at EmbellishPod or Twitter with the same handle. I have a website. It is www.embellishpod.com. It's also a place to pick up these links, episode details, and more. Today is Sunday, November the 27th. We are the Sunday directly after Thanksgiving. And we're going to be talking about turkey myths and storytelling and a host of other things. Um, Thanksgiving is a curious holiday to celebrate uh, for every non-indigenous person to this particular continent. This holiday is a celebration of our arrival and eventual domination of native tribes to create kind of a new space for us. Uh, we've been taught for eons that the first Thanksgiving was one of peace and sharing, but given what we have subsequently learned as adults, it's probably not near the truth. Now, all of that's a little bit heavy for or what I normally do here. Um, so we'll talk about a couple of turkey myths um, that may or may not be true and how the power of story is what really matters. You know, and when we began uh, on this journey, um, that was sort of what I really kind of uh, got stuck on is that the power of the story, the product storytelling, the brand storytelling, or just storytelling in general is often far more important, impactful, and sticky than any truthfulness. And so, um, you know, the story is better <laughs> regardless of its veracity. And I mean, I think you could see that in um, just American culture in general and how we do things. And so we'll start with some low hanging ones and then we'll move our way towards a couple of other things. Um, uh, you know, and it, we can't we can't do anything without finishing, you know, especially this is a the, the Thanksgiving weekend edition of finishing by talking about wild turkey specifically. Tonight we're going to drink on some Bond and Lillard. Um, that's the batch two that I've still got a little bit of that floating around. So we'll drink on that while we talk tonight and um, have some conversation about wild turkey. See, we kind of see what happens here. Um, so we'll start, we'll start with food, start with food, um, turkey specifically <clears throat> for a long time. We've had this conversation around, um, tryptophan and tryptophan being in turkeys, being the thing that causes you to be. Um, super sleepy uh, to the point to where, and, and, you know, I kind of did a little bit of research and tried to find the origins of this story. And it's not really, really clear, but it's popular enough that even in the uh, early nineties, there's an episode of Seinfeld. Where if I remember correctly, George and Jerry are trying to uh, get uh, one of their girlfriends to, to eat a bunch of Turkey and drink a little bit of wine to the point to where she gets sleepy so they can play with a vintage toy collection. There's apparently a really, really big vintage toy collection that they're interested in playing with. They think if they can get her to fall asleep, then they can go do that. Um, and so it's been around for a while, at least long enough to be a part of pop culture at that point in time. But the reality is, so tryptophan is an amino acid. It's an essential amino acid. And yes, it is present in Turkey. Um, usually the human body will make <laughs> serotonin from tryptophan um, and melatonin as well, which are going to have soothing effects. Um, however, to get enough tryptophan in your system to kind of lull you to sleep, you'd have to consume 
pure tryptophan, which is not going to be what's in turkey to begin with, at significantly higher doses than what's actually in turkey, um, to be able to kind of get that that particular um, impact. And what the reality is, is that likely what's happening is, is a couple of different things. If you're getting sleepy on Thanksgiving day, even if you didn't eat Turkey, um, it's coming from either carb loading, you eat a ton of um, bread and stuffing and potatoes and all of these different things that are going to generate that, or you significantly overeat. And if you significantly overeat, um, burning calories becomes, um, a function for your body and your body will try to get you to sleep. Uh, so that way it can focus on kind of one thing. Um, so likely your Thanksgiving nap is going to come directly from, um, more from overconsumption than anything to do with Turkey. Um, then there's this other piece, you know, if you're going to eat Turkey, you got to eat the white meat because it's healthier for you than, than the dark meat is. And, and it's true that, um, boneless, skinless white meat is going to contain fewer calories and fat than boneless, skinless dark meat. But the nutritional differences between the two, the actual nutritional differences between the two are very, very uh, small. Dark meat is going to offer more nutrients, B vitamins, iron, so forth. Um, and so if you're looking at straight caloric intake, then, you know, white meat's the way to go. But if you're looking for actual enrichment, you know, whatever it is, dark meat. And, and the reality is that um, if we're talking about Thanksgiving, you're probably not super concerned with either of those things because you're eating a whole lot of trash. Um, and even, even eating turkey uh, for Thanksgiving. Real weird, because if we're trying to celebrate the, you know, the, the, the first Thanksgiving or the at least the genesis of Thanksgiving, they probably weren't eating turkey. There's probably going to be more like fish and game birds like geese. Um, you know, while uh, pumpkin was probably present, the idea of pies and sweet potatoes aren't there either. So like Thanksgiving as a whole, the way we consume food, the way we do things is, is a little bit different. And then immediately following uh, Thanksgiving, you have Black Friday. And you know, if, if you're an American, North American consumer, you know exactly what that is. And the, the name Black Friday is one of those things that nobody really can explain the origins of it, kind of where it came from. Um, for most of my life, I've always understood it to mean that it is um, the day when most retailers are going to start going into the black for profitability. And so if they look at um, from November to the end of the year, all of the money that they make in that time frame is going to be pure profit. And so um, that's sort of kind of the understanding I've had. But the, the reality is it was first referenced in a, in a newspaper article in 1951, and it didn't. Um, refer to anything regarding shopping. It actually was um, a day when numerous employees were going to be calling in sick. So Black Friday was a day whenever um, there's a lot of folks calling in, whether it be you know from Thanksgiving holiday or whatever. And then later on, it was used um, in Philadelphia to refer to giant crowds and traffic jams that resulted from post-Thanksgiving shopping. Um, and then the idea of it referencing um stores being in the black or at least being profitable didn't appear in the media until the nineties. So it's already been in common vernacular for a very long time by the time it hit that hits that point. And so the idea that black Friday is this, you know, consumeristic holiday is exactly what it is now. But, um, 
kind of the history of it is a little bit questionable. You know, we've already sort of accepted these things is that, you know, turkey makes you sleepy and that white meat is better than dark meat and that Black Friday refers to what's on a ledger balance more than anything else. And those things are, are largely not true. And so then we'll kind of get to this this other one, this other myth that exists around um, turkeys. Um, and maybe... You know, there's there's this there's this myth, whether it's true or untrue, that Benjamin Franklin was a proponent uh, whenever we're sitting a national bird. He was a proponent of using the wild turkey um, and, and what ended up happening was the bald eagle. And so we'll start with how do we get the bald eagle and then we'll kind of you know dovetail into um, Benjamin Franklin's take on whether it should have been the wild turkey or something else. Um, you know, it would be real curious to be eating a wild turkey, but also have it be the national bird. But how do we end up with a bald eagle to start with? Well, the bald eagle and its role as a national symbol um, is linked to the 1782 um, Great Seal of the United States. Shortly, sometime after the Declaration of Independence was signed, um, the Continental Congress gave uh, three folks the job of designing an official new seal for the new nation, new nation. So we've got Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams. Um, the three founding fathers absolutely uh, did not come up with a design that Congress would approve. And two more committees were given the task um, and none of them did it either. And so the idea that um, we're even looking at a, a bald eagle on a seal um, as a sign of, of the new nation didn't come from those three folks to begin with. Um, and so uh, we fast forward to the designs, the work that all three of the committees had handed over to Charles Thompson, um, secretary of Cong Congress. He chose the best elements, which uh, he sort of thought um, were the best elements and, and kind of put those into play. <clears throat> And it was partially a design from the third committee, um, but the, the reality of it is that that, ben, that, that, that Benjamin Franklin um, actually was interested in nothing about birds at all that had more to do with biblical references and you know a couple of other different things. And so the original design that came out of that third committee actually had a small white eagle in it, and um, it got when it got replaced, it got put in with a bald eagle. Um, it goes into official documents, currency flags, public buildings, a handful of other places as well, became, you know, a huge American icon. And, and then we kind of fast forward to this time where the, the bald eagle is going to face extinction. Um, and this is really, really curious. I guess maybe it's kind of indicative of how society was in the late 1800s. Um, but we, we get into the late 1800s. We have a hundred thousand nesting bald eagles, um, and you get down to the point to where there were um, 400 breeding pairs left in the United States at, due to habitat destruction and hunting. And so there were people still hunting what we would consider to be a national bird at that point in time. Um, and that's sort of curious, you know, the idea that there's this national bird, but <laughs> there are people out there hunting in it and, and then, then eating it. I guess it kind of goes back to that idea of, you know, if the wild turkey had been named that, we may still be eating our national bird as well. So then we, um, in, in 1978, we put the bald eagle on the endangered species list. Some federal, federal, federal protections come into play. Um, some regulations around DDT, which was a huge um, 
habitat destructor for uh, bald eagles. Um, in 95, we got off of the endangered and got into threatened. And in 2007, it was completely removed from the list. However, it hasn't re been reintroduced into wildlife management in the way they historically have been. So this is how we get to the bald eagle. Um, but we go back to Benjamin Franklin. And, and so Benjamin Franklin was given the task with, with John Adams and Thomas Jefferson to kind of design a, a seal. And um, he never suggested a turkey. Right. And so that's kind of the, the myth that exists is that, that, that Benjamin Franklin was a proponent of the turkey over the bald eagle. Um, and what he actually proposed was uh, Moses standing on the shore and extending his hand over the sea, uh, causing the, the sea to overwhelm the Pharaoh uh, who was sitting in an open chariot. And uh, the motto was going to be rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And, um, you know, can, if, you, if you study the history of the United States, at least since its inception as a formalized nation, we're really kind of a war tribe here. You know, like all we do is really sort of fight. You know, we're, we're involved in war. I think I remember hearing a, a statistics that, that we've been involved in warring for 95 percent of the existence of this nation, whether it be, you know, a war we're fighting or someone else. But this makes sense. You know, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. The committee. Um, selected a scene from the book of Exodus. They put it on here. The Continental Congress didn't like it. They tabled it. Um, and then, like I said, in 1782, the, the bald eagle kind of makes it there. Now, the where we get the credence behind the idea that Benjamin Franklin was a proponent of the turkey being the national symbol um, actually comes from some American newspapers um that were published around the time of the country's centennial um, based around 1784 or whatever. Um, he, he, he pinned a letter which talked about the Eagle and extolled the virtues of the daughter of, of the, the Turkey to his daughter, Sarah. Um, basically what he was doing was he wasn't delivering a critique of the new seal, but of, um, there was a society of Cincinnati that was using uh, um, a metal uh, of some type, and he was criticizing that. And he he, he basically indicated that um, he wished that the bald eagle had never been chosen as a representative for the country. It had more to do with the way that the bald eagle acts as a bird of prey. Um, he considered a bird of bad moral character. Um, it doesn't give it its living honestly. It steals food from other places. Sometimes it's too lazy to fish for itself. Um, you know, he talks about the the turkey being a more respectable bird, uh, true original Native of America. And that's another kind of big thing to kind of hinge on there. Um, and he considered the eagle to be a rank coward. But the, the reality of it is that um, he did not publish any of this publicly. This was in, you know, a private letter between himself and his daughter, um, and realistically his ideas centered around biblical concepts, not birds. Um, and so he was more of a, just a criticism of what existed out there, um, and kind of, you know, poking holes in the idea that we, sh we shouldn't have used a, a, a bald eagle as our design. And so if we go back to this, 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 I, this thing, and I've heard it for a very, very long time. Um, you know, the Benjamin Franklin wanted the bald eagle to be the, the national bird wasn't, wasn't exactly the truth, you know? And so we've kind of hammered through a series of largely untrue myths that exist, tryptophan, um, white meat versus dark meat, 
um, the the kind of meals that might have been consumed, the the bald eagle versus the turkey, and then we talk about something that's more important to anyone who's probably listening to this is the idea of the story behind Wild Turkey the brand, um, and you know. You likely already know this. If you're listening to this podcast, if you're watching this on YouTube, you likely already know this story. But Austin Nichols and Company was a large wholesale grocery business in New York State. Um, when when prohibition happened, um, they had a uh, they had a unique opportunity for when prohibition ended to be a perfect channel to, to be able to buy bottle and sell distilled spirits. Um, you know, it was a, it was a huge wholesale grocery grocery business. And so, um, they, they partnered with the Rippies and they built a distillery. Um, it would eventually produce a number of different brands, including wild Turkey, um, you know, kind of create a, a, a master distiller and then, you get into the forties, right? And so we're talking in 1933, we're, we're starting to kind of push around distilled spirits, but in 1940, um, the, the, I guess maybe the godfather, the founder of wild Turkey becomes uh, a guy named Thomas McCarthy. Um, and he took a pair barrel of the ribby bourbon, um, along with two of his brothers on a hunting trip in North Carolina. And during that trip, um, they had a bunch of dis- different distributors that were, um, there, including um, Austin Nichols, and um, McCarthy was using the whiskey to entertain hunters and 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 talk to people. And basically, um, the, the the whiskey that came out of the barrel was was smooth and spicy, hundred and one proof. Um, everyone on the trip, you know, just kind of like raved about the taste. They just talked about it, and um, basically, the idea of the brand was born. Um, however, it wasn't really uh, formalized probably until, you know, like 1942. Um, and then Austin Nichols, uh, you know, sells off the grocery chain, concentrates in the spirits business. And then Nichols gets picked up by, uh, I can't remember the name of the company, but, uh, you know, eventually you end up in, uh, under the umbrella of Campari. But, um, it's, is that story entirely true? It, it's widely held to be the truth. And it's, you know, I guess near enough in history for us to sort of, more wildly accept that um as reality so um you know they, here's some i guess some 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 thanksgiving trivia some things that you can kind of um ponder over uh, kind of what's happening there so um let me see what we what do we have coming up uh we're gonna have some some folks joining us. Uh, I'm going to have um, some people coming up real soon. Uh, we've, we've got an interview with um, one of the representatives from the New Orleans Bourbon Association, New Orleans Bourbon Festival, which is coming up in the spring. Uh, an opportunity to just kind of talk through what they've got going on at that particular event. It's one of those events that I've always been interested in and like listening to, to people kind of talk about. Um, you know, it looks like a fun event. I've been in New Orleans a handful of times, love the city, I guess, you know, maybe five or six or seven times. Can't remember at this point. Um, old 55 distillery will be joining us. Hopefully sometime in December, I can get the fellows from Nelson's Greenbrier on, um, the Nelson brothers. And then hopefully we'll pick up blue note, uh, blue note, uh, BR distilling, I think is, is what they, what they, the distilling company is. Um, actually sent me um, a sample of their Blue Note Crossroads, which is their um, French oak bourbon uh, that they have. And 
I'm really excited to talk to them about that particular offering. It's, 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 it's pretty fantastic. And um, a handful of other things that I'm working on, we'll see what happens before the end of the year. I may have a fun round table offering, may have some other unique conversations that are coming along, but I'll be traveling the next couple of weeks. I'm trying to build up a backlog of things. So we'll have a, probably a couple of shorter episodes that will get um, pushed out and published, but um, hope you guys are enjoying this. Like I said, you know, I, I love doing the interviews, but they take a little bit more time. And, um, if you have a family, if you're, you know, kind of off doing things, um, Oh, one other thing. Yeah. Hopefully we'll have uh Dixon Deadman on sometime in December as well. Uh, we tentatively agreed, um, to do this, uh, in December so we can talk about his, uh, two XO offering, um, was able to pick up a, 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 a bottle of that from a friend of mine, a friend of the podcast, a friend of the, a series of podcasts, uh, was able to snag a bottle and send it my way via, um, hand delivered courier. Um, you know, it was a super, super big help. So hopefully we'll have that on and that might get us through the end of the year and kind of see what happens. Um, got some collaborative things that I want to work on in the new year. May take a couple of weeks off after January just to kind of see what happens. Cause you know, this is, I've consistently put something out every week for about two years now. Uh, maybe it's time to take a little bit of a break, but we'll see what happens. Like I said, so um, that's all I've got for tonight is a relatively quick episode. So thanks for tuning in for this offering from the Embellished podcast. If you enjoyed this, please leave me a review on whatever platform that you have to be consuming this on. Leave a comment if possible. Hit me up on social media at Twitter or Instagram using EmbellishPod or give me a follow so you can keep up with what's going on here. I can be found at www.embellishpod.com with all of my links, accounts, contact details, and so forth. And I'll be back again next week with another new offering for you. So until then, cheers and thanks for hanging out.